Welcome to the Business of Business podcast. In this episode, Lewis talks to Nuno Pedro, Executive Vice President for Marketing Technology at Calvin Klein. We discuss the process of technology in marketing, the role of data in engaging with consumers, and a discussion on privacy and its effects on marketing. Enjoy. Well, welcome, Nuno. Um, I won't lie by saying that you probably have the coolest name um, of anybody that I've spoken to so far, Nuno Pedro. Um, uh, in this session, we're going to talk about marketing technology. Um, you have a background um, in, in marketing technology with brands such as T-Systems and now Calvin Klein. What I will say, though, is that this isn't a Calvin Klein interview, um, so I should make it clear that obviously these opinions and, and directives are your own. Um, let's say this isn't a Calvin Klein interview. Um, and, um, and so any questions that I have are, are respectively to you, not on behalf of your employer. And I really don't want you or anybody to share things that you shouldn't be sharing. Um, so welcome. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Luis. And yes, I have a cool name. Thank you for that. It's a Portuguese name. It's not, I mean, it's common in Portugal, but not that common anywhere else in the world. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's start off by um, going back in time a little bit. Um, could you talk a little bit about your background in marketing technology and what got you into it? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I, I think just the definition of marketing technology, it, it's really blurry because if you think about it, I mean, marketing is marketing, so four Ps, how do you sell product, what's the right marketing message, what's the right segment? So that's what marketing is all about. I, I think the technology part actually comes from the fact that we are experiencing a digital revolution, right? And we, we are really on, on, on the very beginning, I, I think, of, of using technology to, to really help out on how do we communicate better with consumers, yeah. right? So the, 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 my passion for marketing technology um, I, I guess it started really a long time ago when um, I had to select um, where, which degree, where would I end up in, in university. And at that point in time, I must say that I was completely not sure. So I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, <clears throat> so I, I ended up um, uh, going after a telecommunication and electrical engineering degree. Right. And it was fascinating. So a lot of uh, maths, a lot of physics. Um, and, and, and actually, what the key thing that I learned in, in that degree was I learned how to learn. Okay. Right. And I learned to become curious and to really, whatever topic you would throw at me, I, I would just start studying it, learning. And after a while, I would actually be able to talk about it and, and, and do something about it. So you have, um, a, you have a curiosity then? For asking I, I, I think so. Yes, I'm, okay. I'm naturally curious, curious by nature. So, um, and, and when I finished the degree, I actually started uh, um, working on a, a research institute. Um, and, and it was really hardcore programming. So at that point in time, uh, creating a, um, a system that would control the, the, the different devices that you have at your home yeah. uh, through voice. At that point in time, through PDAs, uh, I don't know if a lot of people still remember what a PDA used to be. <laughs> I haven't heard that um, time in a while. <laughs> it's been a while, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but if you think about it, it was actually, think about Alexa, but, but probably 15, 16 years back. Um, so that, that was really cool, but it was pure programming. Yeah. Um, and, and what I learned there was, I okay, I like technology, I like doing this, but I also want to know more about business. And how business works, how do you actually uh, influence and impact uh, uh, any given business. And that was when I, I moved to consulting. Right. So I started working for Accenture. Um, and, and it was really interesting because that was my first, uh, um, let's call it, contact with uh, customer relationship management. Yeah, And, and that was where I think the, the, the passion for this whole so how do you connect marketing and technology? I think that was when, when things started forming in my mind that actually, if you know a lot about consumers, you can use that data, you can use that, that information that you have about consumers to really better connect with them, 
be more relevant and, and, and therefore generate more business with them. Yeah. That was the, where it all started. So, um, you know, today, um, you know, we look at all these interconnected systems, which we'll get onto, but what, what was that like back then? You know, you talk about, you're talking about sort of the, um, the idea of marketing technology today, uh, as if it applied back then, but what was that like? Cause I, I and I also understand you started out with Siebel, um, uh, uh, which yeah. is was acquired by Oracle, and um, so so take us back to you know when you started, what the technology was like, and what you were able to learn about consumer yeah. insights. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. So I, I started off this whole CRM marketing technology journey with Siebel, which uh, I, I still do have a passion for that technology. I think it's an amazing technology still. Okay. Um, but, but at that point in time, I mean, we were not talking about software as a service. That, that was kind of a, a strange word, yeah. which was really on-premise. Um, so you had to have the server version of Siebel installed. And then in your laptop, you, you, you have the, the, the local client and you had a local database, a local repository where you would develop stuff. Yeah. And then you need to push it out to a server. Then it would get compiled and really deployed in the server. So it was really, um, I'm sure a lot of people didn't understand half of what I've just said. <laughs> but for us who are old enough, I mean, it, it was really uh, ancient times. Yeah. What I think was the, the, the really the, the, the strong point in Siebel was it allowed you a lot of flexibility in the front end in terms of how you could capture and visualize information about consumer. Then it had a super sophisticated uh, workflow management system that would allow you to create really very advanced workflows and processes that based on data, based on consumer behavior, do this or do that. Um, and then it also had some, some interesting features when it came to actual uh, supporting customer service, supporting loyalty, um, supporting marketing. So it, it had many different um, uh, verticals or horizontals, depends on how you look at it. But yeah. It had many different modules that then combined would really create a, a, um, a 360 degree view of, of the customer. Yeah, yeah. So I think the, um, the running trend over all these years has been, and, and you mentioned it in your your profile on on LinkedIn is is a real passion for, as you say, embracing a data driven, consumer centric approach to operations. Um, how can you explain, in your words, how things have changed over time in your career with with you know with these data driven insights? Um, mm -hmm. I, I, and perhaps the easiest point to start with is just the sheer amount of data that, that guys like you now have to work with given social media and other digital forms, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I think um, the evolution of technology uh, has come a long way. Um, so going back to when I started, so CRM, there was no such thing as digital marketing per se. Yeah. Um, Google was beginning to, to really show up. Um, that whole concept of social media was also kind of quite strange. At that point in time, I think it was still the, the days of, what was the name of that social network? I think High Five or High <laughs> something. Um, so there were two very disconnected worlds between consumer, social media, um, and, and really digital usage and internet usage. Yeah. It was very disconnected from business and, and, and really the way that business used data, consumer data to drive marketing. Yeah. Right. So, so Siebel was seen as a, um, a business support solution, right? And, and it was really all about so servicing consumers that wanted to order things, that wanted to interact with customer service, um, it was not fully used from a, um, a marketing perspective, except for uh, um, generating audiences, right? Yeah. So it was used to generate audiences. It was also used to, to look at some level of analytics and, and reporting. Yeah. Um, but I think things were very much disconnected, yeah. right? I think with the evolution of, of, of technology and digital, what I've observed is, so th this 
CRM and, and marketing technology and the world of ads and advertisement, um, it they have become closer and closer. Yeah. Right. Up to the point where today, can you really separate between what's advertisement and media and what is um, what is marketing technology? So you cannot, right? I think marketing yeah. technology nowadays, it encompasses everything between known and unknown consumers. Yeah. And that, Before, yeah. we used to do um, TV advertisement, right? That, I mean, who God knows who was actually watching that. Nowadays, even advertisement in all channels, it's almost like you you know who, not, not exactly who the person, but who may be the cookie, the identifier, the device. So you, you get to know a lot of information that are actually looking at ads. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the next frontier is really um, to combine this known consumer world with the unknown consumer world and really be able to connect and stitch data together um, to really be able to create seamless marketing campaigns across all touch points. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, in terms of technology, we've gone from arguably a fairly limited number of data points that you know you're able to work with and pull in to an exponential and constantly growing number of channels and um and different ways of bringing in data um i i guess my question is how you you know you talk about current marketing technology and how it's gotten better and grown but how is it how is it really dealing with this explosion in data is it mature enough are you are you able to work with these systems and get what you need or or is there still uh, a way to to kind of go yeah um i i look at it in in two different ways right so one is you have technology today that allows you to process ingest um slice data in, in a much, much, much more advanced way. Right? Yeah. I, I still remember when Excel had, what was it, 60 something thousand lines? So if, if you wanted to go and have data sets that had more than a, a, a few thousand lines, it was not possible in one Excel sheet. Yeah. Right? Nowadays, Excel has, I don't know, maybe no limit, millions, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I think from a technology standpoint, I think we have evolved really a lot um, and, and you see all big companies talking about uh, big data, data lakes, and, and really the need to really capture and, and monetize uh, uh, consumer behavioral data. Yeah. Um, so that, that's definitely on the rise. I, I think, if, if I'm honest with you, I, I think that part has evolved much more yeah. than the, 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 the second bucket, the second part that, that, that I believe has not evolved so much is how do companies really create use cases and really best use that data? Yeah. Right. Because if you think about it, so imagine you have all this wealth of data, so you know exactly what your consumers are doing, what they're buying, what they're browsing, uh, what's their social media behavior, uh, who they are connected with. You, you can get access to all this data, yeah. but then how do you actually leverage that? That's right. Yeah. And, and, and I think if you look at companies like, I mean, really cutting edge, super advanced companies like Facebook, Google, oh, they definitely monetize and leverage that data and they have the use cases to, to go with it. I, I, if I look at other companies um, that are not digital or marketing technology at their core, I think that that's where the struggle kicks in, where you have all this data. Now, what do you do with it? Yeah, yeah. Right. And companies, I think, at least from my perspective, a lot of companies are still figuring it out. And that's why it's a, it's a booming business, right? Because people uh, um, are, have, have a big, big interest in, in doing more and learning more. But I yeah. think a lot of companies are still getting there. You, you talked a bit about how curious you are. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested to know, do you think part of the problem is that companies don't know what the right questions are to be asking of the data? <laughs> um, I, I, I think companies always struggle with the the short term, the immediate need to generate immediate results. Yeah. Right. And the, the mid to long term in terms of what's the strategy, how do we actually build the foundations that enable us to take it to the next level? Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
And, and I think there's always, I mean, whenever it's budget season, you see that, right? Where, okay, I want to see return, but at the same time, I want to, to do cutting edge things, right? Yeah. So um, it's difficult to manage that balance. Um, and, 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 and really w- w- what I observe nowadays is things are evolving so fast that I mean, every six months, every year, th- there's new amazing technology yeah. available but, but that evolves really, really fast. But then at the same time, do the use cases, th- does the need to use that technology evolve at the same pace yeah. or are companies slower to adopt? I yeah. think if you think about big companies, I, I, I personally think that they are slower to adopt. I think where um, when it comes to startups, I think it's a different story, right? Because they, they are born from scratch. They, they need to, to really get going. and they, they are much quicker to adopt and use technology in ways that potentially big companies cannot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's a, a fairly time and test story about big companies being slow to react um yeah because obviously in marketing technology you know these aren't small investments um and quite often these investments have to be integrated with other pieces of technology and and you know and things like finance and hr and supply chain and so on these these can be you know multi-million dollar multi-year projects but i think what you're getting at is that the, the progress in marketing is so quick um, that maybe companies have to rethink the way that they deploy uh, and investigate these new services, right? Absolutely. And, and even um, picking up on what you said about return on investment, I, I, I think it's so companies look at any investment and, and really look, okay, what's my return? And often they, they look at return in terms of what's my incremental revenue or what's my incremental margin, yeah. right? When in reality, if you think about it, I mean, Fast forward three, four, five years down the line, right? And then think about companies that don't modernize their marketing, companies that don't move to the next level in terms of the infrastructure that they have to execute marketing. It's not about incremental. It's yeah. about just keeping what they have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. the, I, I think it's really a, a huge dichotomy for CFOs, for um people that look at investments and think about what is it generating incrementally? What's the opportunity cost? I mean, it's fair that they think like that, but they also put on the, 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 the they need to put on a lens that says, if we don't do this, where are we going to be? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, now in terms of, you know, the use of marketing technology, uh, I was hoping maybe you can expand on this, but I, I see the two key areas are, um, you know, c- uh, customer insights that help, you know, with product placement, the four P's, right? And then there's also brand sentiment. You know, I've seen marketing technology being able to pick up on sentiment towards the brand from things like social media and so on. Are there other areas, though, that you're seeing marketing technology can help organizations outside of brand sentiment and, and customer insights? Or are those the two core things? No, I, I would I would probably add or expand on on what you just said. Okay. Um, the, the the way I think about it is there's there's an element of data ingestion, right? right? And data ingestion means you should be able to build up your ecosystem, right? And and you should be able to capture data about what's happening in your own ecosystem. Yeah. But then if you can look at, at ecosystems around, so there's also the Google ecosystem, there's also the Amazon ecosystem. So really, as much as you can, try, trying to centralize data about consumer behavior in your ecosystem and ecosystems that might be willing to share a little bit of data with you, <laughs> probably yeah. Google yeah. and Amazon are a bad example about that. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, so one is ingest data, right? Then once you have that data, um, you can actually start understanding, so what's consumer behavior like? What are consumer needs and wants? Where, where are consumers investing their time? Yeah. Um, you start looking at that and you start clustering consumer behavior into, call it segments, audiences, you name it, right? Yeah. Um, and, and then based on that, you, you, I think the key thing, and that's... Um, a big element that I, I, from my experience, companies struggle with is 
that alone is nothing, right? Because, okay, you have identified who your consumer is, what they're looking for, but now you need to be able to connect that with what your company is actually trying to sell or trying to be known for. Yeah. Right? So connect, and, and that's the part where internally you, you need to understand. So you, marketing technology needs to work with uh, brand marketeers, needs to work with product merchandisers, needs to work with retail, brick and mortar, also dot-com uh, um, P&L owners to really define. So we as a company, what are we going after, right? What do we want to sell? What do we want to be known for? Yeah. And, and, and ultimately, all of that put together should result in some kind of a, um, a creative brief, right, that allows the creative agency, in-house team or whatever, to really create compelling campaigns, experiences, uh, 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 really content that's really engaging for the consumer. Yeah. And, and if you think about it today, I, I, I think that there's two kind of separate worlds. There's this brand product, uh, we need to create things for consumers, but then the connection with really the behavioral data from, 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 from those exact same consumers, that's not really in, in place. Yeah, right? so yeah. I think bridging that gap is a key element of marketing technology, which is often um, understated. Yeah. Then once you're done with that, then you go into the next stage, which is, okay, now we need to execute, right? And, and execute is we need to think about, okay, those segments, that content, that product, how do we actually execute across touch points? And it's not easy. So you have email, you have SMS, you have mobile apps, you have your dot-com site, you have your brick-and-mortar own stores, you have wholesalers. So you have all this ecosystem yeah. and you need to figure out, okay, how do I actually go to market with this? Yeah, yeah. Right? And then lastly, okay, you execute, you go to market, um, then consumers will do what you expect them to do or sometimes they won't, right? But you yeah. need to be able to measure that, right? Yeah. And really understand um, consumer behavior, uh, what has happened after you show them that piece of content, after you show them that product, and really understand, was it the right thing to do or not? And yeah. that's where it, it, it closes the loop. And so all that data about the consumer reaction to your campaign, to your content, to your product, comes back, is ingested again, and then you go back into analysis mode. Yeah. Okay. So thinking about it as this circle, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's a really, really big circle that ultimately it, it includes the whole... A whole lot uh, um, departments within an organization, so it cannot be done in isolation. Yeah, um, and you, you make a good point about things coming full circle. Um, you've you've clearly worked with some brands that have you know that are household names, um, and uh, uh, you know for some of them, obviously luxury brands. Do you find that you're able to get to the point, or maybe you're getting to a point where the creatives even the designers of the products are able to come to you to ask or to get insights into even, you know, what future products should look like. Is marketing technology help driving development of new products, new segments? I, I think it, it should absolutely do that. Because um, if you think about it, the, 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 in terms of designing a product, it, it's not an easy one, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of, the, 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 the personal touch of the designer, the creativity of that individual, yeah. that's what will make the product unique. So, so it's really a difficult border to draw between, so what is that personal creativity, personal touch that creates something unique, right? Versus the inspiration that that person can get out of uh, very concrete data points that we have about consumer behavior. Yeah. Right. I think it's, it's a fascinating area and it's definitely something that, uh, um, uh, I think the future will, will actually show that companies that yield better results are the ones that really are able to master this. It's almost like mastering the art and the science, yeah. the, 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 the poet and the scientist, right? So managing both sides of, of, of that coin and, and come out with products that are really unique and that the consumer is eager and, and willing to really pay premium for, for those. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 excellent. Um, I wanted to get into um, 
some of the the, the kind of challenges now. Um, you know, you've mentioned the acronym a few times, CRM. For some people, certainly for myself, I mean, I've always worked in a business-to-business kind of capacity. The yep. first thing I think of when I think of CRM is is kind of bloated software. Um, <laughs> Salesforce automation. How do you sell more? I was I wasn't going to say you know, I was going to pick on a particular piece of software, but now you mention yep. it. Um, in terms of you know at, at ground level for you and your team experience. Uh, do you kind of agree with that sentiment in the business and, you know, in the context of business uh, uh, to consumer, do you find the use of these technologies is getting bloated? Um, I, I, I think if you go back a few years, I, I think B2B and B2C, they were quite different beasts altogether. Yeah. Um, I, I think partially they still are they and, and they will always be right because agree, of volume. Yeah of the, the I mean there in B2B you have procurement, you have entitlement, you have big contracts that are put in place with many complex conditions. Um, but, but but at the end of the day I, I, the, the way I think about that is that there's one very important piece of commonality between B2B and B2C yeah. right which is at the end of the day you're talking about one person, making the decision, maybe one team, one person, one team, making the decision to buy on the B2B world. Yeah. Whereas in B2C, I mean, it, it's one person also making a decision to buy, right? So th- there's common points there. Um, and, and what I've began uh, observing is there's actually appetite and there are some companies going after this already and really identifying that if I actually look at the business, it's actually a person buying product, Right. So what if instead the good old key account management way, what, actually, what, what if actually I have a, a portal that that person can go in and buy my product on behalf of their business? Yeah. And then if that's the case, then actually, what if I start capturing information about the behavior of that person when they're buying? Yeah. Right? They also abandon cards, possibly. They also respond to promotions, maybe. Right. And, and then you start seeing that actually there's a lot of elements when it comes to B2C marketing that can actually be applied to B2B uh, um, a, a, as well. Yeah. The other interesting element, and this is also more connected with technology, is <clears throat> so the concept of headless commerce, right? Where yeah. it doesn't matter what your front end is, you can buy product anywhere, right? Yeah. So yeah. being. Maybe in the future it's voice, um, it's the dot-com side, but also the mobile app, maybe a kiosk, God knows where. It doesn't matter where you are, what the front end is, you should allow consumers to buy product, right? Yeah, yeah. So now think about applying that same concept from, from both a B2C as well as a B2B perspective, right? And then if you start thinking like that, then all the order fulfillment elements, all the, the promotional elements, the content the pricing, the, the the marketing. Actually, there's a lot of common points across those two elements, yeah, right? Yeah, so, so then I think what companies will eventually realize is because of that commonality, there, there's a lot of money to be saved if they set themselves up in the right way and if they understand what is common across B2B and B2C, right? And set it up in a way that can work for both lines of business. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think you 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 touched on some good points there about um, the headless nature of it. A lot of people argue that you know you know my my product needs salespeople, but I think in reality what we're looking at is is still the consumer is still a person, uh, just in the same way that they might go and buy a pair of sneakers or trainers or what have you. And yeah. yes, the the procurement process might be more complicated, but. I think what you're arguing for is is that you know through your channels you should try and get as close as you can to the customer, and I've seen some people talk about this, and then the salesperson is really there to help with that transaction. So helping with the decision making through maybe some freemium version, um, mm-hmm. targeting, retargeting, that kind of thing, um, but getting you as close as you can to the customer, and particularly yeah. their decision making before um, yeah. before the salesperson Absolutely. has to come in, right? But, but I, I would also say that it, it will not be exactly the same, right? There will, in the same way that there's commonality, there's also big differences, right? Yeah. And 
And I do think that for some products, you do need, I mean, just uh, maybe a dumb example, but if you're planning to buy a turbine for your coal plant, I mean, it's uh, maybe multi-million dollar investment. So, of course, you need uh, you need a salesperson by your side to really take you through the process, show you that, because it's a massive investment. Right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that, that said, um, if you actually go more to apparel and, 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 and more consumer goods, I mean, the, the biggest difference is actually the quantity, the pricing, and all the procurement elements. Because the, the rest, I mean, if I'm, I, I can give you a concrete example. So if I'm Zalando and I'm thinking about buying Adidas products, right? Yeah. I, okay, I'll look around and figure out, okay, which are the ones that my consumers will like best, yeah. right? Yeah. So then if you think about it that way, it's like you have a business thinking on behalf of a consumer, yeah. right? But on the other side, you have the brand who is actually talking with the exact same consumer. So are there synergies there? And, and my take is that there's definitely, there's a lot of room to, to explore in, in that area. Yeah, yeah. Um, you talk about, um, and you mentioned it there, voice, and of course, getting closer. Um, how do you see, or maybe you're already using it. I don't know if you're already incorporating voice into into your technology infrastructure and footprint, but if not, how do you see that playing out? Yep. Um, something that we would definitely love to. I, I think it's still early days in terms of exploring those voice assistants to really have concrete use cases that they can help drive business. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> I think my, my personal take on that is you start seeing that those voice assistants, what they're trying to do if you have an iPhone and or if you use uh, um, any other uh, device, that assistant, if you let them, they will start having access to everything that you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. From your email to your calendar to your location to your searches in Google, browsing behavior, you name it, yeah. right? So if they ingest all that data, again, we're, we go, we're going back to the same good old marketing technology game, right? Which is, okay, you're ingesting all that data, and then you, you can actually start understanding behavior, understanding really what that person is doing. And I think the advantage that the personal or voice assistant has is you can really start building a one-to-one relationship, yeah. right? Which is, yeah, marketing nirvana, but <laughs> maybe difficult in some channels, but w- with the voice assistant, you can easily do that. Yeah. Now, I, I think the part that is not yet explored is, okay, you have all that wealth of data, you have a direct, very personal access to that consumer, so now what do you do with it, yeah. right? And, and uh, I, I think the key challenge there is brands and companies, they are very much used to that push marketing where they are sending emails or they're sending paid social compliance or paid search. So they are pushing stuff to consumers. Yeah. In this case, they cannot. <laughs> so no. Siri cannot wake up and say, hey, go and buy that product. That yeah. doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. So it's more of pool marketing. The consumer is in charge. And the consumer asks Siri or whatever assistant to really say, hmm, I need to buy whatever, uh, washing powder. Where can I get that? And then that's when the, the, the real fun starts because... Um, how do brands connect with companies that own those voice assistants? I'm sure that uh, those companies are looking at it as a, an amazing new revenue stream. And, and brands, they're looking at it as yeah, very great personal uh, communication channel that could be very interesting to have a presence on. Yeah. But I think the, 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 the key part missing is still, so what are the use cases and how... How do brands and the, the, the owners of the voice assistants, how do you do it in a, in a pool marketing world versus the push marketing world that we're now more used to? Yeah, 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 okay. Um, I wanted to kind of get into um, privacy a little bit. Um, you know, we, as you say, we got the rise of marketing technology and then all of a sudden, um, I suppose it was inevitable, we get into this privacy and regulation and, you know, on one side, we have this idea that social media is free. And in order for it to remain free, we have to give up privacy in order to get ads. Uh, I, for one, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with that model. It means that I see things that are relevant to what I'm looking for or what I'm interested in. And, of course, you have the other side that says, 
you know, I'm I'm afraid of this this tracking. I'm afraid of the the intrusion in in my life. And so, you know, privacy regulation, GDPR, the CCPA, and so on. A lot more restrictions now, certainly within browsers around, you know, how I as a consumer are being tracked and being able to switch that off and being able to choose. Um, how do you see that kind of playing out and um, and how how can marketing technology kind of plan for that where the consumer starts to restrict what you're able to take from them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so f- first of all, I, I, I honestly think that it's something which is really necessary, right? And, and I mean, every person has their own choice, whether they want to share everything and they don't care. Yeah. But they should also be given the choice that if I don't want to share, I don't want you to know what, I'm, what the hell am I doing in my browser, they should also have that possibility, yeah. right? So that's that's kind of a, a right that each individual has. And that's fair, um, yeah. Now, I, I think um, when it comes to the usage of data, I think there's two different worlds, right? So there's a, a normal world where well-known brands operate. And I mean, they are they can be more or less aggressive commercially and in, in how do they monetize that data. But there are boundaries that brands and, and companies that are known that have a reputation that they don't want to go past that yeah right then there's a, a second world which is a more dodgy world where um, everything is up for grabs you can buy and sell data as as if it was really a, a, a yours to own yeah um and, and that's a more dodgy world that i personally think that consumers should, should be uh, a little bit worried about yeah now in terms of how it evolves um, and how does it actually impact marketing technology? The, the way I think about it is if, if companies, if brands do nothing about it, it can impact severely what they're doing in terms of marketing, Yeah. right? Because all of a sudden, I mean, if, if you read between the lines or look at the silver lining, what's actually happening is you start having this really big ecosystems owned by big companies and whatever you do in there, the data belongs to them, right? Because for you to use it, you need to accept their terms and conditions, but no data comes out, yeah. right? So you're, you're the, the, the walled garden concept. So you go in, you do whatever, they know everything, they know nothing. Yeah. But if other companies want to play in that, um, in that ecosystem, then they need to pay, yeah. right? So the bigger those ecosystems are and the more isolated they are, I'm sure the more brands will have to pay to play in those ecosystems. Yeah. So my point of view of what brands and and companies that don't own necessarily those kind of ecosystems, what they can actually do is understand that exactly like like you were saying, Louis, um, actually it's a value exchange, right? So you give up data in order to use social media. Okay, fair enough. But what if I'm a brand and I tell you, okay, give me your data. So tell, let me know who you are, what you do, but I give you something in return. Yeah. Right. If you love the brand, if you love the product, you also say, okay, I trust you guys. So what do I need to do in order for, for you get the data? What do I get? Yeah. Right. And the answer for that is, is a, I think a big element in uh, um, the marketing technology stack, which is actually a loyalty program. Right. Right. Originally, it was looked at as a, more of a retention strategy. And, and so I want people to spend more money, have a higher AOV, have a higher frequency rate. Uh, so that was a starting point. But now because of this GDPR, CCPA conversation, it's becoming slowly but surely um, the, the means for brands and companies to really have a, v- a valid value exchange with consumers to say, Give us your data, right? In order for you to get points, you need to tell us who you are, what you're buying, what you're doing, right? But at the same time, you get points back or you get something back that then you can redeem or have amazing experiences or have access to something that someone else will not have access to. So I, 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 I really think that, um, and, and you start seeing this, that a lot of brands are going in that direction to really either revive or, or reboot their existing loyalty programs yeah um and i think the big reason why is exactly those those data compliance uh, um elements that we have just been talking about so i see 
you know, because you mentioned there the bit, you know, the big tech companies kind of owning all this data. So I, I suppose what you're really saying is that for, for brands like yours uh, and others is is trying to take back that control where, um, you know, rather than going out to these big guys and having to pay to get access to data on customers that you might already have, what you're saying is that these loyalty yeah, programs... I, are... I'm implicitly saying that, <laughs> but, but but if I'm honest with you, I, the, it, it, it's it's something that no brand or no company can win on its own, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think it's more rather than... It, it's two things. One is partnering with those big companies and, and, and really acknowledging that brands need to be where the consumer is. So you need to pay to play, fair enough, right? So it's what it is. Uh, while at the same time, you also need to think that if you are a well-known brand, if you're a well-known company, you should really think about your own branding, your own ecosystem. Yeah. And, and giving you a concrete example, so go, I don't know, 10, 15 years back, um, you, you, you would buy, uh, uh, um, uh, I don't know, any consumer goods product like uh, a, a toothpaste, Right. And you would buy it and you think, oh, the brand of the toothpaste is whatever, Colgate or something, right? Yeah. But nowadays, you know that actually Colgate is the brand, but there is a brand behind the brand. Yes, yeah. Right? So the brand behind the brand, before they didn't care about being known, now they do care about being known. And you see it across the board, right? Procter & Gamble, Unilever, all those kind of holdings that have a gazillion brands, they are now wanting to come into the spotlight and, and, and really into the, 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 the frame. And if you think about it, and, and you all, they also start having sites, right, where if you're buying diapers for babies, we give you a lot of advice. Yeah. Uh, milk for babies, we do all kinds of things for you. I mean, the, even those brands that are traditional B2B, um, they, do, they don't necessarily want it to be known as brands. They are now acknowledging that mm, there's actually value in having a consumer-facing function, being present, and also building up an ecosystem. Yeah. And yeah. if you think the reason, I mean, I'm sure there's many reasons why, but having access directly to the consumer and getting that data that then they can use to either do product design or marketing or forecasting for supply chain, you name it, that is the essence of, of why those companies are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. I want to take a slight left turn here um, and talk a little bit about Korea. Um, uh, as you say, you've gone from perhaps being quite hands-on with technolo technology back in the day um, to getting into leadership positions. Um, what what has that kind of meant for you going from, you know, being a consultant, being a hands-on kind of guy into a leadership position um, what was that like for you? Clearly, as you say, you're you have you're inquisitive. You have uh, you like to ask questions. But um, talk a little bit about you know, and, and we'll get into career advice and so on as we as we get towards the end of this. But talk about the transition from you know uh, into leadership. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think you, you attend a lot more meetings. <laughs> that's yeah. that's the first. <laughs> um, but aside from that, now more seriously. So I, 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 and I can be completely wrong with this and maybe the, the world in five, 10 years will be a completely different place. But what I believe in is you, you need to learn by doing, right? So it's almost as if, if you actually have the battle scars of having done it, yeah. you know what works, what doesn't. Um, and then if you are curious about it, you, you, you continue to learn and you continue to want to improve yourself, right? right. So that's the first element. The second element is finding a, a, something, a topic, uh, uh, being a technology, a business area, you name it, that you're actually passionate about, right? You really love uh, learning about that. You love working in that area, yeah. right? It's not uh, something which is painful for you to wake up in the morning and say, oh my God, I need to get to work. No, on the contrary, you, you're jumping out of bed and say, wow, I want to test something, do something, and it really gives you energy. Yeah. Right. So those battle scars combined with the passion and energy, what ends up happening is after a while, you, you will be able to do things that potentially other people are not. And therefore, you will start being recognized and you'll start getting opportunities and, 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 and recognition. Right. Yeah. 
and that was, I think, what, what happened to, to me. And then what ended up happening was um, I was given first opportunity. Okay, you're great at doing this. You have a passion for this. So now lead this team uh, and, and do it at a bigger scale. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the point in time where you also need to pivot a little bit between being one thing is you're a great individual contributor. The other thing is, are you are you a great team lead? Yeah. Can you manage slash lead the team? Um, that's where you need to really start learning new things and, and, and understanding that people are very different. Motivation of teams is a challenging topic. Um, defining common goals, measuring progress, providing feedback. So all those are things that you just need to start getting into and learning as you move into a leadership position. Yeah. Right. It, it's, um, it sounds like your passion has helped, though. I imagine, that, you know, your argument is, is the passion helps, you know, those around you. Um, would you say that's something you do with your team is you, you choose people and instill that same passion? Uh, for, for, I, I for always work? try to, right? Yeah. I always try to exactly focus on what people are passionate about. I, I, whenever I'm mentoring anyone or, or giving feedback to anyone, I, I always tell them basically the same thing, which is, so if you're passionate about something, you need to find what that something is. But if you are, you will go above and beyond. You will be better than others because it, it, it doesn't drain energy away from you. It actually gives you energy. So yeah. you're w willing to go the extra mile, right? And, and you do it without only thinking about, oh, what's my next career step, yeah. right? So it's like the difference between people having um, intrinsic motivation and really in their heart they want to do it versus having extrinsic motivation that they want to do it because of the reward. Yeah, And, and you will see that, I mean, I guess same applies for professional athletes. Usually if you have that intrinsic motivation, you will go further than people that just have the extrinsic motivation. Yeah, yeah. Let's um let's sort of uh and I, I appreciate your time. I know we're coming up towards the end here. Um if we go back to the beginning, I'm you know, I'm in high school, gonna be going to college or uh maybe I'm coming out of college, coming into the workplace. You're I'm a, a bit old for that. Please, yeah, right? I'm, 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 hypothetically, only a okay, few yeah. only a few years ago, I'm sure. Um okay, yeah. but uh, uh I'm I'm uh, I, I wanna get into marketing technology with your you know, talking about today and looking into your crystal ball, where should I focus my efforts? Um, what are some of the things that I should be doing mm -hmm. to get to where you are, arguably? Yeah. Um, I, I think like uh, we just discussed in, in your last question is find your passion. Okay. And, and don't be afraid to roll up your sleeves, get your head down, learn how to do things. Yeah. Right learn how to do things, learn technologies, learn business processes, models, whatever that you're passionate about and keep your head down, just go, right? Yeah. Then every once in a while also look up and really say, hmm, where has this taken me, right? Uh, do I have the recognition that I want to have? Am I still learning or am I just doing the same thing over and over? Um, and, and my advice there would be, don't be afraid to change, right? Yeah. So... Don't be afraid to step into the void, get out of your comfort zone. Um, as long as you do it, not don't do it because, oh, I will get whatever, a thousand dollars or euros more there. Yeah. That's yeah. not the right way to think, right? It's yeah. more about, so what will I learn? What will I get out of it? What's the experience that I'm going to have after this, right? And if you do that in a, on a consistent basis, right? So passion, do, learn, look around, good, stay, bad, move on, right? If you do that for a good number of, 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 of years, what will end up happening is you, you as a professional, what, what your value is determined by multiple things, so your potential, but also by all the things that you have experienced, the knowledge that you bring into the table, yeah. right? So yeah. if you follow that approach after whatever, 10 years, you will have a, a very solid track record of, all the companies that you have worked for, different roles, different exposure, and you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. Um, so let me ask you this question. If you're hiring today or if you're looking at the job market, what are the kind of hot areas um, that, uh, that, you know, guys like you are hiring for? Is it, is it data scientists? Is it architects? Like what, what are the, 
what are the sort of key competences and skills that are in demand right now? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it depends a lot on at what level you're hiring. Yeah. Um, and, and I also, I, I, I don't like kind of categorizing, say, oh, if you know data science, then you're, you're going to have an amazing career. I think yeah. that that's really not the right way to go. Um, I, I think what I usually look for is resources. So it depends on the positions and everything. But if I look at, at entry-level resources, I want to see the potential of someone. Okay. Right? Uh, the potential of learning, the potential of, of really doing things, the passion for really getting their head down and, and, and going after a topic. Um, and, and, and often I, I, so I try to drive interviews in a way that I'm able to understand when those people, when they're facing a new challenge, something that is new to them, what, how do they actually tackle that, right? And having the right mental agility. Yeah. Even if you don't know data science, if you have the basis in statistics and maths, if you have the, the curiosity, you will get there, right? You just need the interesting motivation to get there. Yeah. So that's what I always look for is, regardless of the, the role, is what's your passion, what's your energy level, what are your ability to tackle a given problem, if you're passionate about it. Yeah, wonderful. Um, just finishing up, we uh, March the tw- March twentieth. We are in the midst of this coronavirus. Um, uh, yes, yeah, a, a, pro- yeah, a worldwide pandemic. Um, but unless it, unless things have changed, in September you have this event that you are involved with. No go. Uh, am I saying that right? Uh, no go. Yeah. I- no to go or, or in, in New York? Uh, yeah, I was there last year. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be involved with that this year? Is it on? Is that something that you're involved with? Maybe. So still haven't confirmed okay. uh, to be decided. Also, depending on how this whole situation unfolds. Yeah. Okay. But twenty seconds on that. What is that event, and why should people go? Yeah. Um, so it's basically a, a conference in uh, New York where there's a, a not that many vendors, so no one is trying to sell anything, but rather okay. people that work in different brands, different industries, different companies, they come together, they really discuss some of, of the, the key trends, uh, what's happening in the media, marketing, technology um, area, what yeah. are the key challenges that, that a lot of companies are facing, and then it's really in a lot of um, key panels, but also uh, um, uh, really conversations about what can we expect for the next few years in those key areas that I've just mentioned. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Nuno, it's been a real pleasure. Um, thank you very much for taking the time with me. I will let you go now. Um, uh, it's been wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Luis. Thank you as well. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.